Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Indelicacy has already earned some wonderful praise. Alejandra Zambra writes, Amina Kane redefines strangeness and freedom in this beautiful and unusual novel that resembles fairy tales and ghost stories but feels intensely contemporary. Kirkus calls it, Deeply observant of the human condition, female friendships, and art, a short, elegant tale about female desire and societal expectations. Mina Kane is the author of two collections of short fiction, Creature, and I Go to Some Hollow. Her essays and short stories have appeared in N Plus One, The Paris Review Daily, Bomb, Full Stop, Vice, The Believer Logger, and elsewhere. She lives here in Los Angeles and is a contributing editor at Bomb. Uh, also joining us this evening is Adam Novi. He lives in Southern California. His book, The Avian Gospels, came out in 2010. His work has been published in The Believer and the LA Review of Books. We are thrilled to have Amina and Adam with us this evening. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. So Adam is back there. He's going to hang back there until after I do my reading. But... Um, Thank you so much for coming. I actually had a nightmare a couple of nights ago that uh, no one came to my reading, so it's, <laughs> it's just beautiful to see you all. Um, and uh, it, it's amazing for me to do this, um, to do a conversation, this event with Adam, who I've known for maybe 20 years. We met in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. We were um, classmates and I, he was the first person I met in the program in the first workshop, and I, I was the first person to workshop a really terrible story, and so he got to witness that. He's seen some of the, like my most terrible writing ever. Um, I love him very much, so I'm, I'm so happy to have him here. My cousin is here, Rashi. Nice to see you. Um, so I'm just going to read from Indelicacy for maybe like 15 minutes, um, and then we'll talk, and... Um, just a quick thing about the novel, it's, it takes place atmospherically in the late 1800s, but maybe not necessarily really in the late 1800s. Um, it's about a young cleaning lady at a museum who begins to write about the art she sees, um, and that's maybe enough to tell you. It, it takes place mostly in a past, but it kind of goes into the, to a present moment here and there, and it's made up also, it's partly an ekphrastic novel, and it's made up at times of her writing about art and, and just her thinking and stuff. So I'm going to read from three different sections of the book, a little bit of a longer section, kind of in the middle, and then two just like shorter sections of, of her writing. One evening, my husband came home with tickets to the ballet. Weeks before that, I had told him I wanted to go, but because it took so long for him to get them, I thought he had forgotten. I was happy. It would be my first time going to the ballet, and I added it to my list. As Solange was getting ready for bed, we were getting ready to leave. She was even quieter that night than usual. 
After my bath, I sat in front of my mirror and thought about death. I'd begun to worry about it, though I didn't want to, especially not in a moment such as that one. I put on a red silk dress and pulled my hair back from my face with gold combs. I had a gold necklace with stars on it. We walked to the theater in the warm spring night, and I felt we were already hearing the music, though we were still blocks away. It was drawing me to it. Once there, my husband talked to a boring couple he knew, and I instinctively looked around for Antoinette. The theater was full and noisy. I knew I wouldn't see her, but what if her luck had changed? Now I regretted even more not telling her of my marriage, not having said goodbye. Still, I enjoyed myself. How could I not? Our seats were close to the front. We could watch everything closely. When the lights came up on stage, eight dancers appeared, dressed in black. At first they were still, then in twos they began moving. Even that first moment made my heart beat. Then another dancer appeared, wearing the mask of a horse, her hair sticking out of the back of the mask like a mane. After that, I went to the ballet as often as I could, all that spring. I didn't tell my husband it helped me to write, that I was inspired by it. I told him only that I loved it, that I enjoyed dressing up at night and going out into the city, both of which were true. There was the dancing, but the music too enchanted me, and the sets, though flat, were also real. I wanted to go inside the wooden buildings, meant to conjure the street of a village. I was there in that village, though I was also still in my seat, completely taken in, the way I was so often taken in by scenes and paintings. I asked to take ballet classes. I had to ask my husband for everything, though he always said yes. So much of the time I was either taking my long walks or sitting still, and I wanted to feel my body doing something else. I liked the stretching more than anything else. The dancing itself was more about discipline than freedom, and I knew discipline already. I knew about long hours and repeating some action again and again. Still, I think it was good for me. I felt clear-headed during that period. I would stand at the bar and do my turning. I would watch myself doing it in the mirror. I liked the instructions being called out while we listened to the music. I liked it aesthetically. The teacher's voice, the piano, the room itself, the other dancers looking at themselves in the mirror too. I had not seen this kind of radiance before, and I made note of it and tried to describe it. The teacher was radiant too, though I was sure she was quite old. All of it made me want to write. One morning in class, the teacher paid me a compliment. You look like a dancer, even if you were always one step behind. I began to take pride in this. I was not at a point where I worried about having an ego. Then, when I went to the performances, my relationship to them was different, still ecstatic, but with a calm sense that I belong there, in the auditorium at night, with my thoughts and my writing. I understood something about ballet easily, and this caused me to change. There wasn't much time for talking with the other students in the class, but sometimes when we were waiting for the teacher, or standing outside the studio on our breaks, we spoke about the class and how difficult it was. I think I sprained my ankle, one of the students said. 
You should put ice on it right away, I responded. My legs are sore, another student said. It means you have worked hard, I told her. I especially like talking to a student named Dana. I thought she should dance professionally. The teacher complimented her constantly, and then Dana seemed to concentrate even harder. She never smiled, but I did. I smiled at her concentration. Once I saw her at the ballet, wearing a white dress, her hair soft. In class, it was always severe. From her seat in the audience, she watched the performance with her same focus, the same seriousness. I wanted to talk to Dana about dance and writing and paintings and music, though I didn't know how to start a conversation like that. I didn't always find talking easy, and I had never spoken to anyone about these kinds of things before. How should I begin? With each new pose, we took turns practicing for our teacher. In those moments, I was nervous to be the only one being looked at, but it helped me to watch Dana. In her body, I saw what ballet was supposed to look like, how the arms should be held, what the hands should do. And I liked having a class to go to. In the same way, I had always enjoyed school, for instance, and my family had distracted me from it. No one cared I had homework. I was expected to take care of my siblings instead. When I tried to read, I was always interrupted, so I had to do it where my family couldn't find me, under a tree that took me 30 minutes to walk to. If I had stayed in that town with them, I would have never written a single word. Now, after every class, I went home, and if no one paid me a visit, wrote, giant trees covered in snow, and then the background changes, giant cakes. After I had written, I would sit in the garden, enjoying the evening, the warm air, Solange preparing dinner, cooking sounds coming from the kitchen window, my husband not yet home from work. I would listen to a bird cry, or the cat and the dog scratching around. In those moments, I felt like a giant ear. One day in class, I asked Dana if she would like to go to the ballet with me, and from that point, we often went together. It was much nicer than going with my husband, who never seemed to pay attention to it, or the other young women with whom I had sometimes been forced to go, those women with whom I was supposed to be friends, who looked constantly around the theater to see who was in attendance, who only clapped or stood up when everyone else did. I stood and clapped whenever I wanted. Dana and I would meet outside the dance studio and walk the two blocks to the theater, and I would ask her about her dancing, about her life. I'm afraid it's too late, she said, early on in our conversations. I didn't start young enough. But you're so good, I insisted. You should never stop, even if you marry. She smiled, and it seemed as if a secret was in her smile. I won't stop dancing, but I don't know how far I'll get. You have already gotten very far indeed. I took her hand and pressed it in my own. I wanted to tell her about my writing, but I was afraid she would think I was exaggerating my relationship to it, that I was lying. After all, I wasn't a real writer, yet I wrote every day. Though I hadn't cleaned for a while, to say that I was a maid would probably have been a more accurate way to explain who I was. As we walked, the auditorium came into view, across from the park. 
Colorful streamers hung from the windows in blues and yellows, fluttering in the light breeze. When I am here, I am like the streamers, I thought. I'm connected to something, but then I am also connected to something else. It is always like that. I am flowing toward it. The green grass combined with the pink sky, a restaurant lit brightly, but the restaurant is one feeling, the grass another. I write this in my time in the country, in my time of country walks. Soon after we were married, my husband took me to the desert. Solange came with us. We stayed in tents, and every morning we came out into the sun and looked at a date farm in the distance. Solange came out of her tent too. The farm reminded me of a setting for a novel. It was so mysterious. Who would live there? And we became its characters. What had brought us together? I pulled my hair into a loose bun, but not as a dancer would do it. At night, the fronds of the date trees moved up and down. They didn't move at all during the day. I learned from them, learned how to carry myself in the evenings. I was connected to that younger me, the one of emptiness, and something of that was also in my walking. You see, everything came to me in the evenings, and I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't writing. I was just learning how to walk differently and how to live in a tent. Hot springs were near us, with grass growing all around. This was the only grass to see. My husband and I would soak in the water, Solange nearby with our towels. Before, I had hardly known that places like this existed, and now I, here I was, seeing them. While reading in bed at night, sometimes I could hear Solange moving about in her room. She was always doing something. Maybe that was her energy, more industrious than Antoinette, than me, more dedicated to something. My husband already sleeping, I would rise from our bed and sit next to the window where the air outside made contact with the room. On her days off, Solange got up early and was gone before we ourselves had risen. I wondered where she went, but she never told us. She needn't have, and I'm glad she never did. As much as I still wanted to know her, she still didn't want to know me. When she got back in the evenings, she often cleaned her own rooms. They were even cleaner than I had kept mine, and she didn't decorate them, not even a book or a leaf. She must have liked that emptiness too, or else for her, the house felt the opposite of a home, and so she didn't treat it as one. It was simply the place where she worked, and unfortunately, she also had to live there or she didn't want to leave a trace or an impression of her life. Once in a while, I would see her look longer than normal at my husband. I didn't know what that was about. Only rarely did I see her in repose, sitting in the garden with a newspaper in her lap, eating food sent to her by her family. I would watch her eat and then try to move my thoughts to something else, but sometimes they brought me back to her. A woman stands in a room facing away from the viewer. Her dress is black, with either a white apron or cord tied around her waist. We can't tell which, but it affects how we see her all the same. It gives her shape. It separates her from her surroundings, which is not always so. At the bottom of the painting, for instance, 
Her dress blends into the shadows on the floor. We see also her white neck, her brown hair pulled back from it. She is looking down, but not completely. Maybe she is reading a letter. The room is almost bare, except for a chair she's standing next to, in front of her a table, and beyond the table a furnace. Two white doors, closed, lead to other rooms, other feelings, or else a continuation of this one. I am always fooled by these suggestions of other rooms we might go into, but never can, never will. Another space, but it is close to us, even if it feels open. Thought of in a different way, if it is all suggestion, what is in the rooms is ours. To be alive, and sometimes grieving, to eat dinners and sit in restaurants, to sleep with my husband, and then tell Solange which rooms need cleaning, to clean my own study, and then read in it, to sit in a dark theater with a lit stage in front of me, to walk with Antoinette, and then with Dana, walking along the lake, the snow falling on my boots, my hat. There are the waves that rise differently in the cold temperature, the animals lifting their heads. If I lift my head too, Dana lifting her head on stage. The cold air sets high above the buildings and I go downstairs to my husband, our life together. If the fascination can move inside, is it not also within me? And at the same time outside with the leaves, which are blowing along the street, outside with the stray dogs who have all of their freedom but not enough comfort. We were born to die, but death can feel unreal if we're comforted in the right ways. And if we cannot comfort ourselves, are there other tricks to keep it distant? Death will come no matter how comfortable we are. It doesn't work in that way, even if we feel it might. Today, for instance, I am far from it, but on other days, will it happen here, here, or here? I imagine it while crossing the street, on those days, I am much too close. The women working in the glue factory, I think of them often. Why was I saved from that life, from a mass of dead horses? We should memorialize the horses, remember them truthfully, and the women who have to spend their days in that way. Yet I too have used glue. I have benefited from a woman who never stops working, walking back from the factory in the morning and the night. Today at the museum, looking at paintings of the night, how serene they are. Without trying, you can almost absorb their quiet. First I stood in front of mountains I've never stood in before, in person, maybe never will, yet they didn't seem far. Granite peaks and a green meadow spread out below. Then other paintings of other nights. In England, the sky the most satisfying shade of black. A strange Arizona with an emerald green sky, a pale green moon, the mountains a metallic color. Then I looked at the most curious one of all, less serene than the ones before it. The wind is heavy, 
the trees in the distance blowing sideways, and a lady is all in white, her shawl swept up over her head. Is it her maid who is accompanying her? It looks like it. Are they hurrying together to another place, escaping something we are unable to see? Maybe that is why the maid has turned around. She is making sure they are safe. And in this painting, there the two remain. Okay, um, I'll stop there. Though I should say I gave so little description of the novel. Um, it might have the excerpt might have been confusing. Um, so the narrator Victoria is a cleaning woman, but then she marries a rich man, and then she has a maid, and this is like a difficult and like weird situation for her um, that she never really adjusts to. Um, so yeah, she probably didn't sound like a cleaning woman in those pages. Hi, I'm Adam. Uh, uh, it's really easy to make Amina look good. Uh, this book is so good. I met Amina uh, sometime in the previous century. Um, we were in the same writing workshop, like she said, at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And uh, her first story that she talked about was about a singer like Bessie Smith or Billie Holiday. Uh, and it's better than she's making it out to be. Um, we had this very blunt Irish teacher named Michael Collins. Uh, and I think that there are like four or five writers named Michael Collins uh, in English, and I don't know which one he is. Uh, he was a slight man with poofy hair uh, who didn't like my work. Uh, the real headline of that class was- Or mine. Yeah, well, the real headline of the class was Amina's second story, which was like absolutely fantastic. It was just, it, it was completely devastating. It had all the honesty and the mystery and the wondrously perfect evocations of love and loneliness that Amina's work has been known for uh, if you read literary magazines for 15, 20 years. Uh, and even then, you could see that she was basically the finished article. Um, do you remember what that story was about or what it was called? I'm, uh, no, I don't remember the title, but I think I'm too embarrassed to talk about what it was. I've told Amar, and he's <laughs> laughed at me. So, yeah, but, but, I, but as, you know, I was the first person in a workshop, and as I was writing down my notes, you know, as you do in a workshop for a revision, um, Michael Collins said to me, which I appreciated, he was like, I see you, you're writing down your notes, but actually I think you need to throw the story away and write a new one. And it was, I didn't, I mean, I went home and cried, but then I was like, I'll show him, and it wasn't bad. It was actually, I liked his directness. He was a really so, blunt guy. Yeah. He, uh, he yeah. would interrupt discussions of other stories to read something he had written when he got bored. <laughs> And he had this one story, I'm gonna swear, so trigger warning, the F word. But he had one story that was about how uh, every young person with any promise in Ireland leaves Ireland. And he kept saying Ireland was the land of fuck. He just kept saying it over and over again uh, in the middle of discussing other people's stories. He was a funny guy. Um, you had this one story early on, I don't know if it was in grad school or after, where someone goes to a farmer's market and squeezes vegetables. Oh, and, uh, God, I don't even remember that. For a while, I used to tease you about that. I'd uh -huh. be like, oh, is this another story where someone squeezes vegetables? And <laughs> I just want to say in front of everyone that I only did it because I was really jealous, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no. um, if you boil all my questions down to their essence, what you'll have is like 20 versions of why are you so awesome, so here it goes. Uh, you're an Aquarius. Yeah, yeah. Why don't I you am. talk it's, about how that affects my, your work? No, that's that's a joke question. He said he that was a joke question, but I am an Aquarius, and it's 
Aquarius season, so. Okay, happy birthday. Aquarius season, thank you. Um, on page three, your narrator says, Vittoria says, if something flows through me, I think it's mine. It is not mine. Uh, and that seems like an older person's wisdom. You know, you have a thought, it's a troubling thought, or it's a beautiful, beautiful thought about possession, uh, but the thought isn't really you. Uh, that's like something you think about later on in life, you know, when you're younger. When Vittoria is younger, she thinks every thought she has is her, right? Um, and so the book is sort of in two places simultaneously. It's young Vittoria being narrated by older, more accomplished, wiser Vittoria. How much did you know that that was how the book was going to operate when you started it? And how much did you discover that as you went along? Um, I usually know nothing when I begin a project, truly. I mean, I um, with short stories, I start, you know, with a very blank page or um, a couple of, like, vague traces that I can barely see or make out. So, um, you know, I, I, like, literally I might see, like, palm trees next to mountains and then that's like what I have to start with and you know I have to like move on from there and that's a really hard place to start from when you're writing a novel or trying to write your first novel I mean it's it's not as daunting if it's a short story and um I started I started this book from a very blank place with just like a couple of images like that and a couple of sort of feelings um a couple of like influences in my mind like Clarice Lee Spector's The Apple in the Dark um and it's, so it's almost pure discovery for me, like, you know, as, as I'm writing, and I did a whole year of writing that didn't make it into this version of the book that I kind of had to do just to get here, just mm -hmm. to even find this, the true space, solid space of the story. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't know that, like, time would shift at all in the book. There was a lot I didn't know, mm -hmm. you know, and so it just, it kind of happened. I don't exactly know how to ask this question, but... It takes a long time to write a book now. Uh, and I don't know how long it used to take to write a book. Like maybe, I feel like, if I'm remembering right, I feel like it took a little, used to take a little less time to write a book. Mm -hmm. How did you feel as time passed when you were writing the book about the integrity of the project and the way the world was changing around you and it? Yeah, um, yeah, that's the thing. Like if you write a short story, it's not, you're, you're, you're more or less the same person from like when you started the story and when you ended it. Um, but with this book, I mean, I, I think I worked on it maybe for four or five years. And um, as I was going along, I would feel really connected to it and feel like, yeah, I really like this book. And then there would be a point where I hated it. And, um, and at a certain point I had written a full draft and then I kind of hated it. And the only way to not hate it was to get rid of half of it. And I don't know, um, and then I liked it again, and then I could keep working. Um, but uh, because of the way the world is changing so fast, and I feel like there's so many crisis points uh, along the way, uh, I think like once I finished this, there was a part of me that was like, did I write an irrelevant book? Because like we're in this climate crisis, for instance, and um, I feel like that's a hard thing about writing a novel or, or writing a book that that takes you a long time is that you just don't know like what you're gonna feel most concerned about by the time it's finished. And I still feel I still feel connected to this book and concerned about the the concerns in it. But um, 
yeah, it's I'd never experienced that before, hmm. not having written a novel. Uh, there's this line, it's, I wrote down the page numbers here, it's page 11, the way waves must appear if you've spent a day at the beach. It's about like thought in your head and mm -hmm. the waves and how your thought feels like the waves. Uh, and it, it's a lot like a lot of the beautiful sentences in the book that you write. It's not begging to be admired, but it's really, really transporting and it sort of operates like a spell. Your really good sentences are like spells. You know, they just transform the reader like at the level of emotion and like possibility. They're really, really great. Uh, in the previous century, uh, we used to really admire the use of similes to convey information. And we used to say, hey, I read this really great simile. Listen to this line. And at one point, I forced you to read this book, Light Years, by James Salter. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yes. A very, well. very beautiful, very unsatisfying book uh, <laughs> whose greatest strength and most fatal weakness is that it's 100% made of beautiful similes. So you feel like you're just like having pancakes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for like weeks. Uh, and it starts off really great and then you kind of go crazy. Uh, and there's this one line where the book says of someone that they were like a beautiful dinner left out overnight. Uh, and I was just obsessed with this line and I showed it, I made you read it and you were like, I don't like similes that compare people to food. Yeah, but then I was writing stories where people like squeezed fruit at farmer's yeah, markets. So, so like. <laughs> um, but I, I think a lot about your sentences and what makes an Amina Kane sentence and it's, there's so much withheld, but uh, they're still really blunt and there's so much possibility. There's another place where really early in the book, Vittoria says, I both liked and hated going to work or something, and it's like mm -hmm. so pregnant with information. Uh, do you have like a policy on your sentences? Like, did, what are you thinking when you, like what, well, how do you do that? Um, well, first of all, I really loved Light Years when we, so this book, like our kind of group of friends passed it around and we all took turns reading it. And I thought it was really beautiful, but there were things about it that really got on my nerves, like, I think there's another description, if I'm remembering right, where they boil corn on the cob and, no, they boil corn in seawater. And mm -hmm. I just felt like that was so pretentious and precious. And like, but, so I feel like that's the flaw of that book, but I feel like uh, there were a lot, of, there was a lot of preciousness in this book that I had to, that was a big part of my revision process, like trying to get rid of that. And I'm afraid there's still some preciousness, but, um, but I, you know, it's funny, like, I haven't really thought of this before, but I think I'm not, I don't think I write many similes or metaphors. Mm -hmm. I don't think I use figurative language a lot in that way. And I, it's not because I don't like it. I mean, I've, I mean, do, I, I don't know if I have an example of one, but like there's so, there's so much figurative language or like metaphors or similes I've read that have really knocked me out. So I like them, mm -hmm. um, but it's true. I feel like I, I don't, I don't really use, is that true? Like, I don't really use them that much. And I think for me, like the sentence, um, I feel like that I'm very interested in sentences. I mean, a lot of writers are, but just interested in this idea that, well, you know what I mean? Like some fiction writers, for instance, some care about sentences a lot and others don't. Others, they're not, they're like thinking about plot a lot more, you know? So um, I, I feel, I realize like that sentences can be like I, I'm interested in the fact that like the small space or unit of a sentence you can still play with mystery in it it can still be a space for possibility and like having two 
like having multiple possibilities and having contradictory possibilities. Like I think I do that not often, but sometimes where I I will write two like two different possibilities of something. And so like like an example, like there's um, a passage where did I? No, I read it tonight. Uh, where the narrator Victoria says. I wore my hair in a bun, but not like a dancer would do it, which, you know, even if I was, I was writing that, I was like, well, what would that even look like? <laughs> like a bun that's not like a dancer would wear it. But, um, I like, I like that you can sort of, um, evoke the dancer without directly bringing the dancer into the, the dancer is still there, even if the dancer is not there. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe that's like the way that things can be like ghosts in a sentence because they're not actually there. So, yeah, I think, you know, like I, I write really short stories. I write pretty short books. This is a very slim novel. And I think I'm realizing more and more that the small space is like my space, you know, where I can like explore and like kind of move around in it. And I really admire people who can, who can like really move in narrative and like large narratives and, um, and like work with structure in a really interesting way. But like, I feel like that's not my strength or talent, like, or it's not what I do, like kind of move, like, I don't know that I write formally interest, well, I don't know, uh, <laughs> like narratives, but I feel like I can get in the sentence and sort of like do some stuff, you know, and then you can make a whole book, but. Here's a really great condensed uh, thing that I really liked. The husband says he's never embarrassed by anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I straight up thought that he was just totally lying, mm -hmm. you know, and that he's like obviously embarrassed all the time and that's why he never says he's embarrassed. Uh, he says he's never embarrassed. Uh, do you feel kind of the same way? Like he gets embarrassed all the time and so he says he's not embarrassed to kind of prove it to himself or something. How did you, how did you take that? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not supposed to admit this. I don't know if he gets embarrassed or not easily. I mean, I think, again, it was just me wanting to sort of work with both possibilities at the same time, you know, like, does he or doesn't he? Like, and not, like, in such a simple way, like, does he or doesn't he? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But just more, like, can you raise, like, like even contradictory possibilities in a sentence or in mm -hmm. a moment? I mean, um, yeah. The book has a really steady, regular plot. Things unfold in like a really steady way. I feel like uh, going through it, like I, I read it and then I went through it a second time so that I could figure out what questions to ask. And I was starting to notice that the plot beats are really, really regular. Huh. And, uh, and you've written only short stories before this and a lot of times people who write stories say it's difficult to plot a novel because novels are longer and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, what was it like to write a longer thing after, you know, an entire lifetime of writing shorter things? It was hard. I mean, I, I found it really challenging. Um, and I don't, I'm not a plot-driven writer, and I think my stories probably mostly don't have plots. Um, and so I... I I, but, you know, this is sort of the most plotty thing, you know, like I, I've ever written. Um, and it, I had to just kind of discover it as I was writing. Um, I knew from the beginning, like, what the final page was, but I, I didn't know what 
the last quarter of the book that kind of got me there. And so that became really hard. I, I couldn't really get it right and I kept having to write. I think I wrote like three or four different versions of the last quarter of the book. Um, and kind of later in that process, once I had an editor, um, my editor, Jeremy Davies, um, he was like, well, he's like, you unwittingly wrote a plot. Now you have to deal with it. But he, he didn't say, it wasn't like mean. He wasn't saying it in a mean, in a mean way. He was just like, cause he's, he's very like funny and, um, but it, it was, he was right. Like I, I had to deal with this plot I had <laughs> written. The, the way the writing, the sentences like sound at the end of the book as the plot is unfolding has this really devilish joy. Mm -hmm. Like there's a way in which, without wanting to spoil it, uh, and I won't say what happens, but there's a way in which uh, people get what they want. And uh, the way they get what they want is incredibly complicated. And in some ways, really wonderful and everyone's kind of getting what they deserve. And then in other ways, it's like really dark. Um, but there's this joy in the sentences, like this devilish joy at uh, things happening the way the narrator kind of wants them to happen. And I thought it was like a new energy in your work that I had never seen before. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that when you were going over those sentences at the end, like you were discovering a new thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there were a lot of things I felt like were new things for me in the novel or that I was, I was discovering, but it, yeah, because I, I think because I was working with plot or I had sort of backed myself into this corner of working with plot that I did, that it, it just felt different, that there was some, yeah, there was something to get devilish joy out of that was, you know, that was sort of in the story or in the relationships between the characters or um, I'm someone who has sometimes enjoyed poking fun at the characters and the things I write, not to make fun of them, but just because I don't know, it's just sort of fun. Like, you know, like my mm -hmm. narrator is kind of bratty, you know, that's something I know, you know. Um, and so I think there were ways that, you know, towards towards the end of the book, when the situations were unfolding where there could, yeah, there could be that devilish joy because of what was happening. And yeah. There's this hatred that Solange has for Vittoria throughout the entire time that she's in the book. And it takes on this life of its own in this way that seems true emotionally to the two of them. And also uh, it's true to the possibility of a novel which has space for like a, a novel within a novel. And I feel like the rivalry of the two of them is, it's sort of like this book within the book that is possible in a novel that isn't that possible in a story. I guess a thing I wanna know is like, how did the Solange character and the the tension between the two of them and that part of the book that seems like it's like sometimes in novels you see these like independent energies that grow up and they pull the book in a different direction and they make it a new thing is that how it worked when you were writing her like how did that happen partly yeah um so Solange is uh the maid um you know who Victoria lives with and um she, you know, she's, it, it, there's a point where Victoria, my narrator, says of her that she's a wall, you know, like that, so it's not, she's mysterious, but it's like a mysteriousness that no one can sort of get past, or, you know, Victoria can't, she really wants to, she wants to be friends with her, but, um, and so, in some ways, I had to keep Solange, I had to keep that, like, wall up for me, too, 
I mean, I think huh. like you're often told huh. when you're writing, like you really have to know your characters. Like, um, I think she was, she, she was sort of walled off for me too, in a certain way. Um, but she's named after, so all the four female characters in the book are named after characters in other books and they're not rewrites of those characters, but just kind of I'm like tipping my hat at them. Um, and so Solange comes from um, Jean Genet's play, The Maids. And if you've read that play or you know of it, or you, there's a film version, if you've seen that, or you've seen the play performed, um, it's loose, loosely based on the Papin sisters who murdered their employee or their madame in 1933 in France. And so um, I was kind of interested in all the female characters with with like carrying traces of those original characters, like having traces of them exist in my characters, but just a little, you know, like these traces. And um, so I guess I just had questions for myself about um, can you, you know, like could Solange carry a little bit that kind of tension and that kind of like class tension? And um, I was thinking in my own way of class warfare in a domestic space, which, you know, not like it exists in Parasite, you know, which really, you know, like class warfare in a domestic space is, is violent and the maids is violent. Um, the event that incited it was violent. There's not violence, you know, um, in my book, but just, I don't know, just, just these questions for myself about um, what you can do with that if you have a trace of another character in, in your character and if they can kind of somehow subtly carry um, maybe a history of that kind of relationship through time, you know, of like, of like the maid and the madame, you know, like, uh, yeah. I read this uh, interview with Nicole Krauss once and she was asked why she made, well, I can't really, I can't remember which book it was, why she made the book so hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said that she was really disappointed in the question and really disappointed in the fact that readers thought that the book was hard to understand and uh -huh. she thought it was like perfectly self-evident. Yeah. And I just read the book and I was like, well, I didn't understand it either. I guess <laughs> I'm one of the dumb ones. Uh, <laughs> when you read reviews of your book and your book is getting reviewed, uh, what's that like for you? Um, I mean, it's, it's generally very nice. I mean, like I've, I've been lucky that most of the reviews have been pretty nice for this book. Um, there's been one sort of review where I think the writer <coughs> did, probably didn't like it. It was a very mixed review. I don't think she liked it. Um, but I don't know. I enjoy it because it's like who doesn't enjoy like someone writing about what they've written, you know? But um, but it's uh, it's mostly been a positive experience. Um, I, I've, I've felt... Luckily, like in some of the situ in, in some of the reviews, I felt seen. Like what I was trying to do was seen by someone. Um, it, it's interesting. Like I think, like rev you know, reviews in some places, like Kirkus or like Publishers Weekly or like these kinds of places, focus a lot more on the story and on plot and on themes. And so I was happy, like, to have some reviews where people looked more at like what I was doing, like at the sentence level, or you know, trying to do there because because I don't maybe care as much about the plot. I mean, it's not that I don't care about it, but it's just not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been in situations a couple of times um, where, 
you know, I, I don't really think of my work like in an academic way by any means. Um, and I've been in situations sometimes where people have asked me questions about my work that are kind of in that vein and I don't actually even understand the question sometimes. <laughs> or I'm like, like sitting there like, okay, what is being said <laughs> like about what I wrote and like, what is the question, you know, and like, that's, that's, that can feel harder. Like if I can't even access, you know. Mm -hmm. What they're talking about. Yeah, like, but. Um, there's a black river in the book that flows into a black lake. really like that. And on the <laughs> next page, Vittoria buys a black blouse, mm -hmm. and she feels herself transformed in mm -hmm. this really great passage where she's like sort of experiencing her way into new possibilities. Um, and the writing in that passage is really great. Can I ask you what the river and the lake are to her and to you and to the book? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, they're, they're, for her, they're places, uh, you know, the lake and the river are places of beauty in the city. And, um, and you know, I, there's um, a passage where she says, like, she's walking to work when she's still a cleaning lady at the museum. And she says, once in a while I would catch glimpses of the river where I would kept glim catch glimpses of the air just above. And of course you can't really catch a glimpse of air, but I think that like they're just sort of like charged spaces for her. Um, and she loves the city too. I mean, the city is where she gets to experience art for the first time and she gets to, once she's married and she has money, she gets to go to dance performances and concerts. And so the city is this place that holds all this experience she can have, you know, that she's never had and she's like, so excited by everything around her. You know, she grew up in this small town and um, and I think in a way, like she doesn't look at the city probably that much differently than she looks at the river and the lake and and also like artwork is sort of in, the, they're all sort of in the same sphere for her because it's like all experience, like being at the river is an experience, looking at art is an experience, seeing dance for the first time, um, the temperature of the air on her skin is an experience um, and, you know, the book for me is a lot about looking, like she's so attracted to beauty and whether that is like something like a river or a lake or, you know, like landscape or, um, or it's like an object, a candlestick, you know, or a leaf, you know, like when she doesn't have money, like she's, she's also like trans, she also loves just like having like a leaf on her table, like that's enough of a decoration. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're all kind of for her, it's like all in the same sphere like experience and looking and and looking turns into you know thinking and thinking turns into writing and mm -hmm. uh here's a line that i really like uh she's at a party that her husband is throwing or she's at a party with her husband uh what i said out loud to people at the party was completely different from what i was thinking that's just such a great line who hasn't done that right um when Vittoria goes from cleaning the art museum to being a wife, she trades one set of unfulfilling circumstances for another, right? Yeah. And uh, at the end, she doesn't have to be as dishonest with the world anymore. Do you think of your work, this is sometimes how I think of it, as a movement from dishonesty to honesty? I want it to be. Um, uh, yeah, I want it to be very much. Um, I feel like for me, uh, like 
one of the things I've been thinking about more than anything else in the last year is authenticity and, um, and the authentic self. And um, this is like maybe, <laughs> I don't know, like how personal I should go, but I feel like uh, like this self, myself has gotten more and more sort of distant from me. Um, and so like the idea of thinking one thing and, and saying another, I mean, it's something we all do all the time, like we kind of have to, but it also bothers me um, because I feel like it's a way that you can be kind of, you can be distant from the person, but distant from yourself. And um, so those things, you know, like there's a, there's a moment where she asks of her, or she says something like, at first I thought I knew myself very well and yet what part of me is false? And like I'm both sort of like freaked out by the my own ways of feeling false, but also like um, interested in it, you know? Not interested in my own ways of being false, but just that that phenomenon of it, of, um, I don't know, like for a while I practiced Buddhism and I don't practice it so much anymore. I still believe a lot of the same things, but just that idea of the self, you know, that like you don't have oneself or that the self is this like illusion and how like, I think I thought about that a lot, but didn't actually feel it. And now I feel it a lot, like, but I don't like it. And um, there's a, and I want to write, I mean, part of why I didn't like the preciousness that I found in this book is because I want to write honest, true, authentic things, not, not like true, like this happened or, but, and so when I was revising, I felt like it wasn't just getting rid of preciousness. It was like trying to get rid of anything that felt false, that rang false. Like even if I liked a sentence, but it didn't, it, it was just not, it wasn't true. You know, like it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I read like this interview with Elena Ferrante and I think it was Alyssa Chappelle who was interviewing her where she talks about writing and says that like, you know, like, that if any sentence, I can't remember exactly what she says, but something like, you know, something along these lines that if like you're, if she's writing and anything s feels too studied too, like, then she has to get rid of it immediately and ask what went wrong, you know, and, hmm. but, um, yeah. Uh, I just want everyone to know that uh, Elena Ferranti was my next question. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because we've spoken so much about Elena Ferrante and you read her before I did and then when I was reading her, partly on your recommendation, partly on everyone else's recommendation, but really yours. Um, you know, we were both going bananas about how fantastic she is. Um, so you were writing this book, I think when, like maybe just starting the book when those books were coming out. Uh, so I know that was an influence. Uh, I know Clarice Lispector's an influence. Uh, who else, like what other stuff were you thinking of when you were doing this? Um, I mean, I always think of, of Duras, Marguerite Duras, um, but there, there are writers I kind of always feel in conversation with. I mean, there were the, the writers that, that, you know, in their books that I named characters after, like Octavia Butler's Kindred and um, Jean Rees' Wide Sargasso Sea and Jean Genet's The Maids and um, The Apple in the Dark by Lee Spector, but, um, I don't know, like I, I just love Renee Gladman's writing and Banu Kapil and um, Claire Louise Bennett and Joanna Walsh and Daniel Dutton and Kate Zambrino and Patty Cattrall, you know, like they're just all these, you know, they're, I feel like, I definitely feel like I write because I read these other writers and I'm like so 
just move to right back, you know, not back. Like I'm not feel like I'm having an actual converse, an actual conversation with them, but just, um, just that thing of like, you read them and, and all, you know, all you can do is write or all you want to do is write. Mm-hmm. Definitely Ferrante. I mean, Rachel Cusk and I mean, I, Lydia Davis, I think is a writer. I haven't been reading her as much lately, but felt definitely early on, like a really big influence and yeah. Uh, what are you working on now that this book is done? Um, I am working on a book of essays um, on the space of reading and writing fiction. Um, working on that, I don't know what is next fiction-wise. I mean, I, I feel um, I feel like I don't know how to write something that doesn't have something to do with climate, or you know, because it's a lot. I have a lot of anxiety about it. It's what I think about a lot. And so I don't know what that will look like for me because, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, as I said, I'm not someone who sort of has an, I'm not an ideas person. I don't set out with ideas beforehand. So I don't know how that will unfold or what it'll look like. And maybe I won't write about that. I don't know, but that feels, I don't know how I can't. I should probably ask about uh, the sort of the feminist politics of the book and when, because it it feels like it's of a piece. I mean, you said you didn't feel like it was political in the way you wanted it to be because it wasn't about the environment, but it is like a really great feminist book. And you said it wasn't part of the, it wasn't commenting on the environmental crisis, but it is commenting <laughs> on the gender crisis. Yeah, and uh, class. Yeah, and the class. Yeah, we have all these crises and yeah. the book is commenting on those. Um, how did you sort of feel about that when you were discovering that that was a part of the book and did it affect decisions you made or not? Like, what was that like Mm -hmm. for you? Just, you mean just gender or like how? A gender or or class or like sort of political concerns because the book has uh, sort of, the plot is forthright in a way that sometimes your work has not been. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at some point you might've known what everything was doing. And what was it like to know what it was doing and know that it had like sort of explicit politics connected to it? Mm -hmm. Or did you know that? Um, It, yeah, it felt good, you know, because it's, you know, I, I've said before that I feel like I see what's inside my mind when I write and which sounds silly because you should know what's inside your mind, but I find it pleasurable to see what emerges when I'm working on something, what really emerges. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is important because I keep going back to it. So like in Creature, there were a few stories where that featured maids, you know? And um, mm-hmm. so it's not surprising to me that that when I wrote a novel, that's what I went to. You know, I yeah, I like that. I like seeing like, okay, this is this is more important than the other things for me, or I, I wouldn't be writing, you know, this wouldn't have emerged in the way that it did. Um, so it's, it's never, you know, it's never surprising, like, that I would write a book that, that has a lot to do with gender, or that might be feminist, or it might comment on class stuff. It's, it's not surprising, but it's, I, I like seeing it, you know, I like seeing, like, okay, this, this, this is what came about, you know, when I spent all this time here on this project. Um, but, uh, you know, like, as I said, when I first start a project, I just see these, like, really, like, scratches of things or, like, vague images. And so a big part of the process of writing is for those things to become more and more clear and then kind of have thread, you know, and then connect and, like, be these threads that run along 
to be the story or the narrative. Um, and by the time I'm done, you know, my process with it, everything feels like I can see it. And so it feels really nice. It's like something started out really blurry and then became kind of for me more and more clear. And um, yeah, I like that process. This is the last question. Um, you worked with Jeremy Davies at FSG on this book. He's kind of a about as famous as editors, youngish editors get, uh, really, really well respected. Um, and the book has a really, really amazing shape, and it unfolds really beautifully and evenly. Uh, and on the book before this, uh, you worked with Danielle Dutton uh, at Dorothy, and maybe Marty, I don't know if Marty was involved, but. Yeah, a little. Um, you know, uh, Danielle's not at Ferrer Strauss, but she's a really brilliant editor, a really amazing editor. And, you know, you had known her for a long time before she worked on the book. Um, what was the process of being edited like uh, this time? Um, it was great. I mean, I've been really lucky both with Danielle and Jeremy and that they're really good editors. And I, I feel like they both, and Marty, and I feel like they, you know, all of them really helped make the book stronger. And um, Jeremy was able to kind of see things that he could talk to me about that, that would help a lot. And, you know, Neither Danielle or Jeremy are these editors who's sort of are like heavy handed when it comes to the sentences or they don't sort of tell you what to do. They ask really good questions or make really good queries, you know, like what is this section doing or, um, you know, like can we, can you sort of like tease this out a bit more or what would happen if you went in here and sort of went further into this conversation? So. So they're both really good at, you know, at questions and, and those kinds of queries and, um, and just kind of looking at like what kinds of readings are kind of happening, you know, in the books. Um, and yeah, I think they're great. And they're both just really, and Marty too, like they're all really fantastic writers who I, I really love their writing. And I think there's already like a kinship as, as writers, and you know, that's not always true. Editors aren't always writers also, not, and not that they can't be good editors. I mean, because I know editors who aren't writers who are just amazing, you know, at what they do too, but it, it's nice when you feel that kinship. And um, so I felt really grateful, you know, to work with Jeremy and, um, and Danielle and Marty. Was there anything that you wanted me to ask that I didn't ask? Is there anything that <laughs> no, I left out? No, no, but can I say something about you, which I meant to say earlier, but then kind of forgot? <laughs> yeah. Which is that, I mean, and hope, I mean, I hope this won't get annoying, but I really love Adam's writing also. And oh, God. He, yeah. he wrote this, yeah. like, two-book <laughs> novel, The Avian Gospels, which is really amazing. And then also he's been writing these essays for the last couple of years that... Um, I think I've read almost all of them, right? Yeah, but just about. I kind of read yeah, them, and yeah. um, they're really, they're, you know, like, we're such different writers, and I, adm I admire your writing so much, and I get jealous, like, when I read your sentences, because they're, like, doing all these things on this, like, total other level that I could never do, and I don't know, there's just, like, I don't like, there's such, like, complexity and beauty in your essays, and Thanks. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Amina Kane, everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate so much. <laughs>
line starts here to get well, the book I mean, signed? I mean, type thing. If, yeah, yeah. Of course. Does the yeah, audience if, have any questions yeah, if for me? There Amina? are questions. No pressure, but yes. Oh, like if if she would have a friend, um, uh huh, uh huh. Oh, that's. Oh, um, Tove Jansen, um, the True Deceiver, which is yeah, which is an amazing book. It's funny because I think so many of my favorite books, probably the characters, Victoria wouldn't be friends with them. Like, like I like I love Lowell Stein and the Ravishing of Lowell Stein. And it felt like an influence for this book, but I can't picture them being friends, <laughs> like Victoria and, and Lowell Stein. Or, um, you know, I, I said to um, to um, Azreen van der Vliet Alumi, who um, uh, her last novel is called Call Me Zebra, if you haven't read it. And um, I said to her when I read that, like, I think Victoria and Zebra would be friends. So I think that's like the first. Yeah, that's sort of like the first character I would think of that maybe they could be friends. Um, but yeah, I think like all of my favorite books, like they would never be friends, like with Victoria, like the characters in the, those books. But yeah, I mean, female friendship is really important to the book and female friendship is very important in my life, including with you, Adrian. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're based on real artworks. Um, and it was a question that Jeremy and I had, like, do we do we name it somewhere in the book, you know, the, the titles of the paintings or the works that the descriptions come from? And I think there are, like, maybe just a few places where I, like, will say an actual title or something like that. But often I don't, you know, usually I don't. But they, yeah, they come from real paintings and real works. Yes? <laughs> I'll just, if I can't understand it, I'll just be honest. No. Uh huh. So the relationship for Victoria of looking at images in her life and like at work, it, the paintings, and um, I think they're, I think it's all the same for her, really. I mean, that's not entirely true because, you know, when she starts working at the museum, you know, when she starts cleaning it, she discovers art for the first time. And it's, um, it's, it's like an awakening for her in a way that um, she was already probably predisposed to that. Um, but it, it does awaken something in her looking at art. And I think in a way allows her to see the rest of the world in a similar way, you know, that to where, like I was saying earlier, like a river can be, just as nice to look at, you know, as a, as a painting, or she can get as much out of it, or it can kind of inspire her to write in a similar way. So I, um, so I think it, it becomes part of, you know, they, they kind of merge in a way and become for her part of the same sphere, you know. Yeah, just looking at everything, you know, looking, <clears throat> looking at art, but then like also watching dance and then also looking at mountains and, um, 
looking at an animal or looking at her friend, you know, and, and being interested too in like her friend, not, not as like an object, but just as, as something she's, you know, someone she's interested in or that, in, that makes her feel something and therefore want to write something and yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to ask me an academic question? No, I'm just, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, she definitely likes, you know, this character definitely likes clothing and, and talks about it and kind of dreams about clothes um, with her friend Antoinette. And, you know, I myself also like clothing. Um, and, you know, I think as I get older, I like, I'm interested in clothing more and more. And, um, maybe there was a point where I thought like to like clothes too much would be, I mean, I'm not saying it is, but for myself, maybe I thought like, no, it's shallow. Like to admit that you're interested in like clothes or the, like you like fashion or something like that. And, um, but you know, she's, she and I are interested in all kinds of objects, whether it is like, uh, you know, a certain kind of dress or like a candlestick, you know, like the, just um, like the beauty in objects. And, you know, and, and now I think like, I mean, we can live creatively in so many ways. Like, why wouldn't we want to kind of um, be creative and like what we're wearing or, or how we like present ourselves and, um, I mean, most of the time I'm just at home literally in jeans and a sweatshirt, but so it's not like I'm sort of living this, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just that it's, um, for me and for her just like stems from like, I don't want to say beauty. I mean, I had this conversation with, um, a friend, another writer, Patty Cottrell, who was like, you know, like doesn't, you know, we had this, not like debate, but sort of like, I'm always like, it's beautiful, I love beauty, you know, and Patty is like, like, no, I don't want something beautiful, you know, like it's, and so it's, I don't want to like reduce it to beauty, like beautiful objects, like it's all about beauty or, um, and I think there's, there are like larger ways to sort of define beauty, but um, I don't know, aesthetic experience maybe, like I, f I feel like very interested in aesthetic experience and I feel like that includes clothes and I don't know if I answered your question very well, but. Uh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Sort of like ekphrasis with clothes, you mean? Like just that. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, something I haven't really talked about tonight is is kind of my love of other forms of, you know, like other art forms um, and and wanting to be able to try to get close to them or interact with them in some way. So like, yeah, photograph of a garment, like wanting to, in like, wanting to write towards it somehow. Like for me, never really knowing how to do it, you know, like it's never, 
but wanting to try or wanting that to be part of this a narrative too or part of the story too or part of a book or whatever you know just it's it's something like that is always going to sort of excite me about writing and about that other form more than plot for instance you know you said you didn't want it to be too theoretical but you did just say ekphrasis of <laughs> clothing like you knew what it meant I've never said, I mean, Evan got me to that place. <laughs> I mean, in I a very good way. I just want to say that, that for a person who thinks they can't talk about uh, theoretically, you know, that I mean, was, I can't really. That was so baller. That's oh my why God. when Evan was about to answer, ans Evan is so smart. And, and you are too. I was like, oh God, like, what am I in for here? I'm going to like falter. No. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.